You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Okay, class, take your seats. I said take your seats. Class, sit. I swear you're all acting like a bunch of animals. Pet Life Radio presents Teacher's Pet, where you'll learn how to understand and communicate with your pet and train them to be the best pet they can be. It's time to see the world from your pet's point of view. So give a tail-wagging welcome to your Teacher's Pet host on PetLifeRadio.com. You may even learn a few tricks yourself. Hi, welcome to Teacher's Pet on Pet Life Radio. This is Pia Silvani, Director of Training and Behavior at St. Hubert's Animal Welfare Center in Madison, New Jersey, and your host. I'd like to welcome this week's special guest, Carolyn Barney. Today's topic is going to be based on Carolyn's new book called Clicker Basics for Dogs and Puppies. It's a great little book, and it's specifically written for you, the pet owner, you, the trainer, professional trainers, or anyone interested in learning about how to use a different type of marker to reinforce behaviors. I've known Carolyn for many years, and she's wonderful, wonderful trainer and a lovely person as well. And she's been working in the field of dogs and behavior for over 25 years. She's currently focusing on dog behavior consulting and clicker training for dogs and other animals as well. In addition, Carolyn also offers learning opportunities for new and advanced trainers and teachers via lectures, workshops, dog training courses, and college courses at Harvard University Extension School. Carolyn founded and managed Gemini Dog Training School in Massachusetts, a full-service dog training and daycare facility for 16 years before selling the business in 2006. Carolyn's also quite active. Uh, She's an active competitor in a variety of sports, many more than I could even imagine. I don't know how she has a life, (laughs) including tracking, confirmation, obedience, agility, earth dog, hurting, and I can go on and on and on. And she's very successful in all of that. So before we meet Carolyn, which I know you're going to be thrilled about the discussion, let's take a real short break to hear from our sponsors. Okay, class, grab your tuna flakes, biscuits, and bones. Teacher's Pet will be back in two shakes of a tail, right after recess. Hey, ready to take a walk? Not just you, but the whole family. It's the 2009 Whisker Walk, Sunday, June 7th from 11 to 3 at the Lancaster Fairground in Lancaster, Massachusetts. Pet owners and animal lovers walk to lend a paw to benefit the animal shelters and pet charities they love. Come see exhibits, demonstrations, educational programs, special attractions, product giveaways, entertainment, auctions, raffles, food, fun, and things for adults and kids to see, do, and buy, both human and pet related. Whisker Walk 2009, a fun day for everyone. For more information, log on to whiskerwalk.org. Life Radio presents Paranormal Pets, where you can always expect the unexpected. Each week we'll discuss all aspects of weird or spiritual animal encounters, ghosts, totems, psychic animals, animal souls, animal angels, and animals in religion, with a little cryptozoology thrown in. Step into the supernatural world of pets with your Paranormal Pets ghostly host, Dusty Rainbolt, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. 
Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Okay, class, hang up your collars and leashes. Teacher's Pet is back in session. Now park yourselves on the floor. I said park, not bark. Okay, Teacher's Pet. Pay attention. There may be a quiz later. Welcome back. This is Pia Silvani, host of Teacher's Pet on Pet Life Radio. I'd like to welcome our special guest and dear friend, Carolyn Barney, who will be talking to us about clicker training. Hi, Carolyn. How are you? Hi, Pia. I'm great. Thank you for having me on today. Oh, I'm thrilled. And I just have to tell you that I just I love your little book and I recommend it to everybody. Oh, that's great news. <laughs> yes. Before we finish, um, at the end of the half hour, the end of the interview, you can let everybody know where they can purchase it. But let's start off first. Uh, let's begin by educating our listeners, if they're not aware about what clicker training is, what a clicker is, and how does one use a clicker in training? Okay, great. Well, clickers come in a variety of shapes and types, and a clicker is a device that will make a, a quick, sharp noise that will um, get an animal's attention, and an example is that, and it's just a sound that is, um, can be, it can also be replaced by something like a whistle, which is commonly used in the marine mammal training world, and I think a lot of us have seen dolphin shows and that type of thing, and this is the same type of training that they use with that type of animal, and also in a lot of today's zoos. And in today's zoos, they try to do things, everything positively, such as taking care of elephants and um, getting whales to do things in the shows and what they need to do to take care of these animals. And it's the same type of training that we can take from this zoo animal training, which is huge animals that you just can't make do what you want them to do. Do you think that we, um, as, as dog trainers then, did we learn from the mammal trainers and the zoo trainers about the use of a sound? I think it's coming back and forth, and I think it's actually been used um, even before that. I mean, if, if you look back through the ages, the type of training, whether there's a sound used or different types of reinforcement, you can apply the same type of training, and this has been going on for thousands of years, literally. Um, I think the big idea behind the clicker is that it's a marker of behavior that we want the animal to do, and it's a bridge to the reward, the, the reinforcement, which is the cookie or the toy or whatever the animal might be working for. And um, things that we might want the animal to do might be to sit. It might be to not jump up. Um, any of the types of things that people want their dogs to do on a general and daily basis. Another advantage is that the clicker allows the trainer to communicate very quickly and sometimes at a distance, and it can be very transferable from one family member to another. If everybody's not exactly the same in how they interact with the dog, the clicker can equal that a little, equalize that a little bit in a family situation. That's and a great point. Yeah, and it's it's not all, and it's also something that can be used in team training. It's a great um, tool to work with children. Most children love to clicker train, and they can become a part of it in some way. And children have better timing than adults. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's very true. <laughs> well, a physical marker is, is a big part of the clicker training, such as the, the, the actual physical clicker. It's, it's a general philosophy of positive reinforcement. 
Good, good. Um, I guess the big question that I hear all the time, and I'm not sure if you do, but many people have said this, well, it's just one more piece of equipment that I have to carry. So how do you respond to this if someone comes into your classes, for example, and they don't want to use a clicker? Do they have to? Well, no, they don't have to because I find that if you try to force somebody, it's, it's, you're not going to um, help them see what you see. But usually, once I'm finished with an intro and some demos, I have most people convinced. And um, what I explain is the clicker, it's, it's not forever. It's a tool to use while we're teaching new behaviors. And once we teach the dog what we want, then you don't need the clicker. Um, unless you want to teach something new or maybe just brush up on an old behavior that's, that needs a little bit of sprucing up. Yeah, and um, I think that's important for the average pet owner, too, because they like to see quick results and they don't want to have sure. to carry things around forever. Right, and, it's, and that is the thing. It's, it's a training tool, so it's not a forever tool. And sometimes, you know, if somebody still has a reservation, then what I will suggest that they do is use a verbal marker. Yes, and it's just a short, quick word. And with this, they don't need to be carrying anything extra. I don't think that it is as strong as the um, box-type clicker or or a mechanical clicker, and that's actually something that's being researched. Uh, We don't have all the answers on that, I don't think, yet. But it certainly can be used very nicely as a marker and help the training um, proceed a little bit more quickly without a marker. Great. So if a person's interested in this, how, how could they get started um, if they really wanted to start with clicker training? Well, if they want to um, start on their own, they can, I mean, to actually do the training, I like to uh, have the dog be carefully um, you know, associate the clicker with something good first. And that gets the people learning how to do a little bit of the mechanical skills of literally just using the clicker and then feeding the dog. Because what the clicker is doing is a prediction to the dog that a treat or something really good is about to follow. So that's what we do with, and that's the power of the clicker. The click lets the dog know the treat will come right after this. And it lets them know exactly when and what they're being clicked for. So a great way to start is what I usually like to do is muffle the sound of the click a little bit and have people just click behind their back and give their dog a piece of food. And do that a few times. That lets us see how the dog responds to the clicker, and it gets the, the uh, owner a little bit of practice clicking and then feeding. And then we begin to t- tra- use it in training the dog and clicking them for things that we want them to do. You said you start off by muffling it. Are there some dogs that become fearful of it, or what, what, what is the point of muffling Occasionally, it? Occasionally, uh, there will be a dog that's a little sensitive to quick, sharp sounds in their environment. Mm. And just to be sure, if I don't know this dog, that way I can see if they do respond with a little bit of a fear reaction to it at not full sound. And if they mm-hmm. seem okay, then we just slowly bring it around to full sound. Great. And that great. way I don't have a, a sudden startle for the dog. Yeah. Yeah, that's important. And you talk about in, in your book about the human shaping game, which I liked. Can you expand upon that a little bit? Sure. This is a fun game, and it allows um, folks to get a little bit of a feel for being a dog. And um, what we do is basically is think of the old hot and cold game. And I know I'm dating myself on this one, but <laughs> basically the click is the is the hot. It lets you know you're getting closer. 
And if nothing happens, it's cold. You're, you're not getting, you're wrong. You, you haven't made a correct choice. But nothing bad happens either. So what you do is you get, you can do this with a group of people and one person or, or is a trainer and one person leaves the room and somebody decides, well, what we're going to have them do and maybe it's just go over to a certain place and sit down or pick up an item. A human, a human thing to do, not a dog. Right. <laughs> and uh, then we have them come back in the room and nobody tells them what they're doing. They just get clicked for getting closer and closer to the behavior we want them to do. And the click lets them know that they're getting closer. And it's, it's a fun little game, and it really gives both the trainer a feeling for training something, and it gives the trainee, or the fake dog, a little bit of a feeling for what our dogs are going through, and they don't have the game explained to them prior to. Right, right. Good point, good point. Are there certain things that you cannot teach with a clicker, and if so, what they, might they be? I can't really think of anything that, I, that you can't teach with a clicker. Um, there are some times that I don't think it's necessary to use a clicker for some behaviors that we might teach, and I think it's more helpful with others with some behaviors than others. Um, behaviors such as stays, long duration behaviors, very often don't need the clicker to pinpoint a precise point in time to get the idea across to, to the animal if you're also doing it close up to the animal. So sometimes you don't need it, but I can't think of anything that you can't use it for. I have to agree with you on that. I was trying to think of that myself, and I couldn't think of anything, so I thought, let me ask the question because... Yeah, you know, I think it can be used for pretty much anything. It's just it may not be needed for everything. Great, great point, great point. So is there a difference in training a puppy with a clicker as opposed to maybe an adult dog? And if so, what are the differences and what should owners be aware of? Well, with a puppy, we have um, the very often less, less things that are prior learning, less things that have, will get in the way of them learning sometimes. Mm-hmm. It's not that we have a blank slate because they have been learning things all along the way. But there is very often training that um, has been done prior, and depending on the type of training, can sometimes get in the way of clicker training. So in some ways, a puppy can, can be a little bit easier in that respect. Um, they may not have the attention span as of an adult dog, so it's, there's plus and minuses of both. An older dog might have a little bit more attention span, but depending upon their prior um, learning, they may and may not take it quite as quickly as a puppy does. Mm, good, good. Yeah, I think that's important for people to know too, especially mm-hmm. if they maybe they rescued a dog from a shelter who has had no training whatsoever. Sure. Yeah, good point. Although, although I think it's also a great way to, to help them get over some of their past experiences if the training hasn't been um, done in a positive way. Yes, yes. I, I definitely have seen that where it could just the tone of a person's voice or praise mm-hmm. it means nothing to the dog. Right. Yeah, I definitely agree with you on that. Carolyn, we're just going to take a real short break so we can hear from our sponsors. So everybody hang on. Don't go okay. away. And when we come back, uh, we're going to continue talking with Carolyn Barney. Okay, class, grab your tuna flakes, biscuits, and bones. Teacher's pet will be back in two shakes of a tail, right after recess. Greetings, human. What planet am 
Meyer. Welcome to Pet Planet. Here's a copy of Pet Planet Magazine, Florida's most informative and fun pet resource magazine. It features heartwarming stories and informative articles from local and national pet experts. Excellent. Pet Planet Magazine offers Operation Planet Rescue, helping rescued pets find new homes. And it's available at 500 locations in South and Central Florida and 24-7 on the Internet at PetPlanetMagazine.com. If you're out and about with your pet, you may be featured in Paparazzi, Candid Pictures of You and Your Pet. For up-to-date pet-friendly events, activities, and pet-related services and products, Pet Planet Magazine is your final destination. I shall take this magazine home with me. Back to your home planet? No. To my condo in Boca. Pet Planet Magazine. Check them out at www.petplanetmagazine.com or 352-394-8578. It's out of this world. Coast to coast and around the world, it's all behave with Arden Moore. Find out why cats and dogs do the things they do and get the latest buzz from wagging tongues and tails in Rin Tin Tinseltown. From famous pet experts and best-selling authors to television and movie stars, you'll get great tail-wagging pet tips and have a fur-flying fun time. All behave with America's pet edutainer, Arden Moore. Every week on demand, this is the place for a special paparazzi treat. Only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Okay, class, hang up your collars and leashes. Teacher's Pet is back in session. Now park yourselves on the floor. I said park, not bark. Okay, Teacher's Pet. Pay attention. There may be a quiz later. Welcome back to Teacher's Pet on Pet Life Radio. This is Pia Silvana, your host, and joining us is trainer Carolyn Barney, talking to us about clicker training puppies and dogs. Carolyn, um, before we left on break, uh, there's a technique to get behaviors that we call uh, shaping by successive approximation. Please explain that to our audience, and uh, can you go over some shaping guidelines for people? Sure. I think uh, shaping is one of the strengths of clicker training, and it involves the learner being an active participant. And when it's done well, it keeps the learner very interested in the whole process. And um, it also ensures that there's a strong history of reinforcement, which means the, the learner, the animal, gets a lot of reinforcement early on because when we're doing shaping, we're breaking things down into little pieces. If you think of shaping as building something from the foundation up, you have an end goal, and to get that to that goal in shaping, we start with nothing, we lay a foundation, and then build a behavior that's moving closer and closer to your end goal. And the building of that behavior is the success of approximations. And uh, there are multiple ways to get behavior started, so you can shape and mold it to what you want, and, you know, there you could just wait until the dog starts to do things. You can use a little lure to get things started. And uh, for an example of of just kind of using an environmental um, type of cue to the dog, uh, to teach a dog to go to a mat, for example, is a great shaping process for that. And basically you want to have your clicker and your treats and dog ready to go. And you place a a mat of any kind that the dog can lie on on the floor and put it right in front of you and do nothing else. You just stand there. And as soon as the dog investigates, you click and you toss a little treat away from you in the mat. 
and then the dog's going to come back again, and you keep clicking and treating as the dog approaches the mat. And as you do this, you'll start to have one foot on and two feet on and three feet on and all four feet on. And before you know it, the dog will get the idea that, oh, you want me on the mat. And that's all done by just starting with basically nothing other than a mat on the ground and then clicking and treating each time the dog becomes slightly interested in the mat and does a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. What happens um, also, because I've heard some people say this, that they stand there and they wait for the dog to do something and the dog doesn't do anything. Uh, he just stands there and waits for the, the owner to, to cue him to do something. Exactly. What advice do you give to people when, if they run into that problem? If they run into that, what's, what's happening is they're probably waiting for too much to happen. And in the very beginning of shaping a behavior you are basically starting with nothing. So you may just start with an, a, a slightly move of the head or a dropped nose. Or if you get nothing else, you start with a blink of the eye. <laughs> right. And, and the throwing, once the dog does something and you toss the treat, now you have the dog moving away from the object if you're using something like a mat. And now the dog starts moving back to it, so you click that motion. You throw the treat again, and they start coming back to you, and you click that motion. You click it a little bit later and a little bit later. But you want to, and this is one of the very important parts of, of shaping and training in general, is to reward very small pieces of the behavior we want as we're building to the behavior we, we want ultimately. Great, so, great. You know, taking it one, one little step at a, pe- at a time. Do dogs give up? I mean, do they ever just stop and give up? And if they do, what what are your suggestions? If dogs stop and give up, then they have probably been reinforced for stopping. So they've maybe they've been clicked as they stop the behavior instead of as they're doing the behavior. So it could just be late clicks. It could be just the dog's frustration and not knowing what to do. And the best thing to do is just, Go have a play session and start over again. Right, right. Make it a little bit easier for the dog another time. Great. Good advice on that. <laughs> I loved your chapter on variable reinforcement and how to fade out food, which I think, as, as I'm sure you do too, is so critical in training. And so many people are so worried about using food in training uh, be- because they don't want to be carrying treats around for the rest of their life. And that's what they think about positive reward-based training or food training that they're going to have to walk around with treats in their pocket forever. So you really did a nice job with that chapter. So could you just expand upon that a little bit, if you don't mind? Sure. I think, I mean, as you said, Pia, the, everybody wants to fade out the food for daily activities with our dog. And essentially, by using lots of food reinforcement in the learning stage, as we just talked about in the shaping process, you will have a stronger behavior overall, and it becomes a little bit easier to wean away from it in the long run. And the other thing to look at is look at all of the different kinds of ways we can reward our dogs without food and utilize those on a, on a daily basis. And I think this is something that's, that's overlooked very often. Things like um, just giving them their meals is an opportunity to reward our dogs, but have them do something. Mm-hmm. So have them do their things that we want them to learn and have them do them for meals and for attention and for going out and to go have some exercise, to go, you know, have a run, um, 
sitting to have your leash put on and sitting to go out the door are very strong reinforcements for controlled behavior of a sit. And using that type of daily activity is, for some dogs, much stronger than food even. And um, this is a, um, a great way, I think, and probably one of the better ways to wean away from food is to just have other ways to keep those behaviors strong. And yeah, yeah. The life rewards. People forget about that because they, I think a lot of trainers inadvertently tell people to go home and practice. And it's just like one more thing that they have to do in their busy lives. You know, I rarely use the word practice or homework. I never use the word homework. It's just, again, just one more thing for me to do, practice and homework. You know, where do I fit that into my schedule? We do certain things with our dogs. And we can make those learning opportunities for the dogs in ways to reinforce them throughout our day. Perfect, perfect. You know, there are some behaviors that I think are more complex for people who are doing sports and, and things like that or for dogs that have emotional issues. Then sometimes we do have to maintain a little bit higher rate of food for them. But most of the time we can find other ways to reinforce. Yeah. Well, what mistakes do you see people making when they use a clicker in training? Well, are there any? ones I think are, are, oh, there's lots of them. Um, and I think we all do them. One common one are, are clicking multiple times uh, without a treat or reinforcement. I think it's very important to always follow up the click with the reinforcement, whether that be the treat or getting to go out the door or, you know, getting to chase the ball. Or and we talked a little bit about this in the shaping, a clicking after a behavior is actually done. You want to click when the behavior is happening and so that you're most of the time clicking, clicking an active dog so that if it's something that they're moving into or doing, unless it's a stationary behavior. So clicking a little bit too late is a common problem. And every once in a while you see people use it more of as a remote control than as a way to say, yes, you did it right, but we'll try right. to sneak it in there as a recall device. <laughs> right. uh, which is not, not exactly what, it, what it's meant to be for. Um, and then just generally clicking enough early on in, in the dog's learning process. I like to tell people, too, you don't have to aim it at the dog like it's a gun. You know, sort of, <laughs> exactly. And I think, because, like you said, it's sort of like we, we were so patterned to, like, aiming the box at the television or, you know, putting, exactly, like, our... our right. Yes. <laughs> we have um, to aim it at the dog for them to get it. Yes, right. <laughs> you also mentioned in your book, which I want to talk a little bit about, that you, you like use it, um, as do I, when we deal with behavior problems. Um, give maybe one or two examples of how you use it so people can, can learn a little bit more about that. Well, um, behavior problems are, are, you know, very often part of daily life with our dogs. And often when dealing with them, we need to take other, other avenues such as management and desensitizing along with the training. But what I find is the training is where I use the clicker. And generally, I feel that clicker training speeds up the training process. And for most dogs with behavior problems, they need all the help they can get. Uh, so I think from that standpoint, it speeds up the training, which can be, which is an integral part of behavior management plans. And it usually goes along with things such as management and desensitizing um, along with the training. But it's that training piece that I'm going to use the clicker for. And some specific problems that you can use it for, you know, dogs that have serious problems around the doorway and people coming in and jumping up 
and just teaching them to start with four on the floor and mm-hmm. building that to a behavior that you want it to be, and maybe that's to sit while people come in. Yeah. Um, and, and, and building greater self-control, generally that training piece of the behavior work. I like what you said. I find that many times there are a lot of trainers that they quickly say uh, for jumping, let's go back to that problem, have the dog sit. Well, sit is just such a difficult behavior for dogs to start with. So I like that you brought up four on the floor first. If we take what we want, if we have a dog that's having difficulty, let's let's take it in pieces. Mm -hmm. And the big goal is don't jump on me. So if, if, exactly, if if all we can get is four feet on the the floor, and that's an easy thing to pinpoint with a clicker, whereas it's not always easy to pinpoint with just a a word praise or food at the right time. By the time the food gets there without the click first, the feet may be off the floor by then. That's right. (laughs) So it really does help. Yeah, I had a client one time, um, her timing was not great. She was trying to use a clicker when the dog looked away from things that were on the counter. But since her timing was delayed, she would click every time the dog looked away, but then jumped up. So the dog thought jumping up was the proper behavior. Was the, exactly, exactly. And, you know, we have to watch our, our timing on, exactly. So if somebody wants to join a, a clicker class, for example, what should they look for? Now, are there any questions they should ask? Well, I think with, as with any trainer, the first thing I would do is say, go and observe classes. And especially uh, if you haven't had a, a personal recommendation from a known source. And look at the trainer's education and background. And, and do they have um, any certification in their training background? How much experience have they had? Do they train their own dogs? What do they do with their dogs? And, you know, just general research as you would for, for anything else that you're going to do or any other, um, whether it be dog training or anything else, just do a little research ahead of time and make sure that you um, feel that it's a good fit for you. Terrific. Excellent. Carolyn, unfortunately, we're out of time. If people want to get your little book, and it's the perfect size. I, I love these nice little books now. It's, you know, under 100 pages, and they're easy, and they're small, and it's colorful, and there's lots of good graphs in here. If they want to get it, where can they get your book? The um, two probably easiest places to get it from are, are the online, and that would be www.cleanrun.com or uh, www.dogwise.com. Uh, both are publishers of a variety of books, and that's available at those two sites. Perfect. Well, thanks for joining us, Carolyn. Unfortunately, we're out of time. Next week, everyone, don't forget to sign in again once more. We're going to have our next training session, so don't forget bring your dog, treats, tug toys, so we can have a lot of fun. Uh, I'd like to, once again, as always, give a special thanks to our producers for making the show happen. If you'd like a transcript of the show or any other shows on Pet Life Radio Network, please go to PetLifeRadio.com and click on Teacher's Pet. Also, if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for the show, please email me at pia at petliferadio.com. So before I say goodbye, thank you, Carolyn. Hope to talk to you soon. Thank you. It was great to be here, and it was a great opportunity to help everybody understand clicker training a little better. Great, baby. We could have you on again. So until next time, this is Pia signing off. Thank you for your interest in Pet Life Radio. Take care. 
Schools in Session on Pet Life Radio with Teacher's Pet. Learn how to communicate with your pet, train your pet, and see the world from your pet's point of view. You may even learn a few tricks yourself. Teacher's Pet, only on PetLifeRadio.com. <laughs> 